Partners in Crime, Kristen Perry Long, and Andy Bernstein. Uh, hi, guys. Hello. We're just going to do a quick check-in today because we have three guests on the show who have a lot to say, so let's get right to it. How are you guys doing, Chris? I'm doing okay. Um, you know, getting on that schedule is really, really important. I keep reading it and reading it, and... Um, I got to practice it. So I'm trying to really stay on a schedule, which is helping my mind not uh, be so anxious. So I'm doing better. Good. Good. Glad to hear that. Mr. Bernstein. Um, so you know what? I felt like I cheated yesterday. So I, I've been working on it. So I've been up and down the last month. I'm sure a lot of people have been feeling the same way. Good days, bad days, whatever. So I went out yesterday social distanced, but, um, I went with my friend, Bernie. We went to a, a meeting, a closed door meeting at a, at a, a, a store that we're trying a, a location that we're trying to do something with. And, uh, I had the best day of my m- m- past month felt normal. And it was actually a sports memorabilia shop. And I was like a kid in a candy store. I had a blast and, and, it, you know, and, and I left and I'm like, God, I feel hope. I feel hope today, you know, like, wow, it was normal, Mm -hmm. you know? And, uh, (laughs) so I actually bought a box of baseball cards. I bought three of them. Like when I was a little kid and I sat there opening packs because that's what I used to do when I was a little kid. And if I were like upset or things like that. So my wife and I actually started opening the packs of cards. She didn't know what she was doing, but I was like, okay, what do you got? You know, and I started putting all the cards aside and, it was great. It was so cathartic for me yesterday. So today I'm a little manic, but I'm feeling good. 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 A little manic. I am a little manic. Um, good. We're waiting for, here she is on cue. Hello, Senator. Can't hear you. Oh, she's connected. Oh, there she is. Hello, Senator. Hi, Sorry. That's okay. Thank you for. Uh, it's already been crazy. Oh, I'm sure. Thank you for coming on. I really appreciate it. Sure. You you have a whole. This is like Hollywood Squares. You have, <laughs> you have Kimberly. You Hi, Kimberly. Have Hi, Chris. You have Hi. Beth, and you have Charles. And Charles is actually world famous. He's actually in Logan Airport talking about mental health. Oh. Um. With the um. The program with McLean Hospital. Oh, great. Hi, Charles. You're in Logan Airport? Uh, yeah, I have a nine-foot mural uh, between gates B and C. Oh. Wow. <laughs> Tell, telling his story. It's pretty cool. Um, I'm in Philadelphia right now because I know you're from Philadelphia. Oh, yeah. So I'm at the Rocky. I'm at the Art Museum. I got my Phillies hat on. I see. <laughs> well, how really are in Philadelphia. What's that? How are things in Philadelphia? Oh, it's great. South Philly, going to Pats and Geno's, you know. Um, yeah. So, so really excited to have you on. We um, obviously, you know, we did this show about mental health and addiction. And we've actually talked about the recent bill that has been passed. And so um, I thought it would be great to hear it from Uh-oh. you. From you directly about the latest bill um, around mental health and kind of the particulars. You're obviously a state senator. 
you represent the 4th Middlesex District, which includes Arlington, Billerica, Burlington, and Lexington, and you have been a huge mental health advocate. So we thought it would be great to have you on and appropriate to talk about the recent bill that was passed and how it can help people and what it entails. So great. Okay. All right. So I'm just trying to get to a place where my internet stops um, fading out. Okay. Hope this is better. So, um, yeah, so we, uh, the bill, I think the biggest piece of this bill is that it puts teeth into the um, parity laws that are the law of both the federal law and the state law. And um, we've had parity um, laws on the books that require that mental health be treated equally um, as med surge. And in fact, we haven't, that hasn't happened. And um, part of the reason why I think it hasn't happened is because um, a lot, there's been a lot of self-reporting going on. So, you know, an insurer or carrier says, yes, we are compliant with the law. Um, when in fact, we know that, that that's not true. Um, and you see it in how um, restrictive the um, pre-authorizations are for mental health, um, how much uh, utilization review goes on, what the, um, if you look at the provider networks, how are they adequate or not adequate? Um, and you see all of the inequities. Those are some of the places where you where they really come out. So this bill has, um, what this bill does is it, sets very, very strict requirements from both the uh, carriers, the insurers, and the Department of um, Insurance to oversee whether, in fact, the parity laws are being filed, are being followed. So that is a big, big piece of this um, bill. Another uh, big piece of it, which is unfortunately, unfortunate that we have to actually um, legislate this, but there's no pre-authorization for acute treatment. So if you come into a hospital and you require a immediately immediate acute treatment for um, uh, a mental health condition, then um, this bill uh, takes away any pre-authorization that has to be done, and it allows the decision to be made between the provider and the patient. Um, there are some other pieces. There's some uh, some uh, um, education pieces where there would be a, a, a kind of mental health campaign talking about mental health, uh, focusing on the stigma and trying to reduce the stigma. Um, okay. And uh, and then there's some education for uh, to get people into the workforce, the pilot program for bringing more uh, workers into the workforce for mental health. Chris was not in their head. What? Can't hear you, Chris. Sorry, I had to unmute myself. Good, thank um, God. <laughs> um, I think it's it's really important. And how? I mean, I know this passed, correct? Passed in the Senate. Yep. So, if it does pass and becomes law, right? How fast will it actually be accepted into uh, the system? I guess you could say. Do you, know what, do you know what I'm trying to say? Well, so of course it will take some time because a lot of this is reporting, right? A lot of this is 
we have to now set up the um, insurers and the um, and DOI to start to get this information. But it it shouldn't take too long to start. I mean, usually bills are uh, um, start in sixty days unless there's a preamble, uh, emergency preamble. So. I think we'll start to see it. Now, the pre-authorization will start as long as, as soon as the bill goes into law. So some of it will happen right away, and some of it is going to be over time because there's going to be these reporting requirements. So on the, on the long end of it, so when somebody, when we Section 12 somebody, right, it's supposed to be a 72-hour mandated uh, evaluation, hold, whatever you want to call it. And then when they say, you know what, you need that further care, and sometimes you're put in against your will, and sometimes you go in willingly, uh, the length of time that people get for mental health stabilization, and this is why part of the reason why we have Beth and Charles today, because their stories are kind of the revolving door uh, of how their mental health was treated. It was a quick fix. Here's a pill. Let me know how it works out for you. We'll see you in two weeks. Is is this bill going to change any of that? Well, it may change it. Okay, indirectly, it may change that. Okay, direct. It doesn't directly talk about that. But if you have, if you're not following the protocols for treatment, and you, so if you say, well, for for this med surge particular issue, we we are following the protocols, and they have to do that. And if the if on the behavioral health side there's a protocol that they're not following, that is not they are out of parity, right? You can't you can't hold those two different things. If those are if those are benefits that you provide, you can't have two different ways of setting a standard. Okay, so in that regard, if the standard is, you know, for a med surge for for cardiac, you we are following this set of protocol, these standards of care. And for this particular um, mental health condition, these are, here are the standards of care, but we're not following them. That won't fly. That to me is an is a um, it's you are not uh, you are out of compliance, and that you're not allowed to do. So, so to that extent, and be and having the uh, transparency of how those things are set and how those decisions are made will help what you're talking about, but it's not a direct hit on that, you know, on, on that. And, you know, some people, some insurance companies don't provide certain benefits. So if they're not providing the benefits, there's no standard that they have to follow. We're not requiring people to have a benefit. I would like to do that. Um, So this is a start. It's not the whole thing. It, there's so much to do, but this is this is a place to start because at least we'll we'll have transparency around what insurance companies are doing. I, I have a question. We, you know, we talk about different treatment. You know, different mental illness, and obviously, mental illness is um, a broad scope. Um, so, so what are some of the key um, things that this? Uh, you know, what falls in under mental illness? Can you kind of share? Is it dual diagnosis? Is it addiction? What kind of um, things are going to be able to be covered under the mental health umbrella? 
Okay, so mental health to me is mental illness. Okay, so it's including, you know, anxiety, depression, psychosis. Um, behavioral health is, and then there's there's substance use disorder, which is alcohol, drugs, and that's that. Those two pieces, mental health and um, substance use disorder, in my mind, make the world of behavioral health. Okay. okay? So one of those that you know, so there, it's just. But what I worry about and why I talk directly about mental health is because I what I think has happened over the past several years is substance use disorder has consumed the discussion and it's incredibly important, but there's also mental illness and that is separate. They feed, they, they, they are certainly coexist with each other. They are really important. One leads to something or but um, but I really want to make sure that mental illness, the treatment of mental illness, does not get kind of consumed by this, by the all the work we're doing around substance use disorder. Because okay. there's lots of people that are mental have a mental illness and they're not suffering from substance use disorder. Got it. Charles. <clears throat> yes. So when did the, why did the bill come in effect in a sense of what you just talked about with the behavioral and the mental, like I suffer from, I'm dual diagnosis. So I feel like it should have been set forth with both involved. I know you just said it coexists, but more that it needs to be, the bill needs to be focused on both. So we've done a lot of work around substance use disorder. For instance, a good, a really good example is when we, in our last, uh, the bill I worked on last year, which was a substance use disorder bill, we took away the requirement for pre-authorization. So if you come into an emergency room and you are suffering from a substance use disorder or overdose or whatever, and you need immediate acute treatment, that happens without the insurance company being involved. If you come in suffering from a psychotic um, episode, then I, I, as your provider, I have to call the insurance company. I have to get an okay for me to send you to a treatment. That is not parity, right? So this bill, we have a lot of things in place for substance use disorder. And this bill says that if you, if you, um, you know, if you are providing treatment for behavioral health in the person's plan and med surge, those two things have to be equal. There has to be parity. So we're not leaving out substance use disorder. We've done a whole lot of work on that. And okay. those protections are in place. All right. So now I have a question. Okay. So let's fast forward now. We're in the COVID we just talked about this on our Wednesday edition that, um, you know, they're predicting that there's going to be more of an outbreak right now in mental health, given people are losing their jobs, isolation, um, you know, which obviously isn't good for people, you know, suffering, you need that contact. Are there any things in, is there anything specifically now in the works around the current situation or will there be anything in the works? We have started to look at this. And in fact, last week we had a very long conversation 
with the um, commissioner of, D of DMH, Department of Mental Health. And um, we've also been, we started out very early on talking with the um, uh, substance use disorder community because there were a number of things that came out through the federal government, some of the um, relaxation of some of, of medical, of um, prescribing um, around methadone. And um, we did some work around um, ensuring that people could get their prescriptions like for Suboxone without having to go directly to their doctor. I mean, uh, we, did a, we did a number of things in that space to at least make it possible for people to continue to at least get the medication that they're on, right? Okay. Um, we are really, really worried about a behavioral health surge. And so what we've done is started to look at what areas do we need to um, focus on so that we're ready for the surge. And right. one of the areas that we um, are most concerned about is the community health um, venues, right? So, so many people go from, um, you know, a subacute treatment center or uh, subacute care to a step down, which is in the community. And those are okay. the um, programs that have been affected the most by this pandemic because nobody, as you know, I'm telling you all things you know, they can't, they can't show up. They're also hard to find those people because they don't often talk on the phone or the, you know, telehealth is not something that is immediately available to them. And so how do we ensure that we're keeping that contact for people when they're in the community and when they're more isolated? So that's what we're focusing on. Are those programs, and some of those programs are closing because they're not getting any, they're, they're not receiving any, um, any money because they're not billing, right? So they have to, they're shutting down. Um, so that's what we're looking at is what do we need to shore up or make sure is in place so that people start to get treatment? Because we know, you all know, if, if you don't get treatment, you're going to decompensate and we're going to have a much bigger problem on our hands than we do right now. Right now, people are not showing up to the ED. Right, not right. Coming for treatment because they're afraid and I don't blame them, but we are starting to see it with children. Good. We're starting to see families showing up in the ED with children who have not been getting treated because of the pandemic and the families are, they're, they're starting to crack. Uh, I'm sure Chris, you were, uh, I mean, I can speak firsthand to that. I mean, I'm raising my, my grandchildren, um, and I'm a recovery coach as well. And my phone's constantly ringing, talking to a lot of people. Uh, my granddaughter is suffering from anxiety. Like she's 11. She um, had, was somebody that played soccer, played lacrosse, had friends. She already had those uh, underlying self-esteem issues because she's being raised by her grandparents. Her mom's now back in her picture, which is great. But to all of a sudden rip it all away is, has been devastating for her. And it's making all of us crazy because we can't help her. Um, you know, and we've called the pediatrician and I won't even tell you what the pediatrician recommended, but it's, yeah, there's, I'm concerned not only for the, the, the older generation, the thirties, the twenties, I'm concerned about the kids that are going to finally get back into 
uh, society and we're going to have to learn a whole new normal, you know, it's just, there's so many levels to this. It's, I don't even know where to start. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And that's why we're starting with the, you know, that's why we're focusing on the community side, try and get care to people before it becomes acute. But it's it's going to be a real uphill battle. I mean, if we don't get the feds to help us, I don't know how we're going to get out of this because the the cost is enormous and we don't have the funds to pay for it and we need to do the work. So I was reading SAMHSA um, has a 900% call increase, which is the substance abuse, trying substance abuse, mental health services administration and they're having a 900% increase. And so um, obviously it's a problem. I I actually had one more question for you. Um, When you talk about, you know, obviously we have uh, healthcare workers on the front lines who are, you know, I'm imagining or experiencing PTSD and a lot of different things that they're going through right now. Um, are there things in the available to healthcare workers who may be going through some stuff right now? I'm not sure. I do know that a lot of the hospitals have started doing more, um, uh, call it mental health, um, outreach to their workers because it, they are worried about people, um, being, uh, you know, um, PTSD. So I know that's happening, but I don't know about it on any formal level. Okay. Um, I'd have to find out. Okay. So. If people want to learn more about the bill or um, contact you. Um, yes. If you can contact me uh, at uh, um, Cindy.Friedman at MASenate.gov, all one word. And also you can go to my website, um, CindyFriedman.org. <laughs> okay. Um, and I think it's slash mental health, ABC, capital A, capital B, capital C. But if you go to the website, you'll be able to find it. Cindy You're, you're the best. Thank well, you, you so much. I'm so glad you care about this. And um, Charles, it was great to meet you. I hope you, get out, of the, um, hope you get out of the airport soon. And um, <laughs> <laughs> um, will you come back on again? Yeah, anytime. You're more than welcome. You're more than welcome to stick around if you want. I mean, I'm sure you're busy, but we'd love to have you. I would love to go, but I have a 10 o'clock conference call, so I'm going to run. Thank you for all you do. Thank you. Stay safe, Senator. Bye, guys. Bye. Thank you. There you have it. State Senator Cindy Friedman, one of my favorites. She's great. Not the best. She's awesome. So I was thinking about it a little bit, and, uh, I think this is this bill is kind of the obviously it's a scratch of the surface as to how they're gonna, you know, they it's not molded yet. They don't know they're gonna it's gonna be a a work in progress. Charles, did you feel like your question was answered? Yes. Good. I didn't I didn't know about the behavioral health bill. What I mean, do you the, working uh, at the it. Substance, the substance abuse. This, uh, yeah, I kind of wanted to challenge her on that one, but because uh, people can't just walk in and be like, I need help. Because if there's no beds, there's no beds. Right. But we weren't going to go there today. Yeah. Don't be challenging, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> no, be challenging. Yeah. Be challenging. Yeah. Please. 
please. Um, we wanted to come back. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. Um, okay. So Chris, Kimberly, you're going to, we're going to have a round table here or a square table, whatever you want to call it between Charles and Beth and a discussion. So I'm going to turn it over to you, Chris and Kimberly. And we'll All go. Right. Thanks, Andy. So like Andy said, we've got Beth Stark and Charles King with us. These are two of our favorite guests. They were who have already been on the map. Um, so Chris had the idea to bring both of them back on the show together and let them speak to their experiences about what they've gone through with each other and kind of talk about the similarities and the differences uh, between what they experience coping with their uh, respective challenges. So welcome back to the show, you guys. Thank you. So who wants to start? Charles, you start. (laughs) (laughs) This is like, what is this match.com? Like we're like, well, the funny the, wait, before we get going, the funny part was, right, I messaged Charles. I'm like, Charles, would you be willing to come on and talk to Beth about your experiences and blah, blah, blah? And he's like, yeah, but it'll be really hard. And I'm like, why? And he goes, well, you know, with the two kids. I'm like, oh, not your wife, Beth. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. It is funny. I didn't even put two and two together. So, um, yeah, I mean, I you know, banter with each other. That's the whole point of it is like, you know, did this happen to you and share with us how you guys got where you are now today and the importance of the people that helped you, how you advocated and so on and so forth. Um, I mean, first and foremost, um, to everybody and especially Beth, um, how are you dealing with your mental illness through this COVID Um, this has been hard. Um, I actually was talking to, I have therapy Friday mornings at eight. And so I drive around and do therapy because I have a four and a half year old and I have a couple of thoughts on it. In the beginning, it was a, I felt like I was in a constant state of like some sort of elevated, not mania, but like definitely kind of elevated. I couldn't, I was having a really hard time concentrating, thinking straight wasn't really there. Um, not that that's particularly back, but five, how many weeks are we in now? Five, six, five, six. Five, six. Yeah. Now I feel like we have a better rhythm. Once they officially canceled school, I kind of decided to like change things around where my son and I live. Like his bedroom is now a classroom. Um, I taught preschool for 10 years, so it's legitimately set up like a place, a preschool classroom. And I've kind of taken the mantra that I learned in early recovery, embrace the suck. And I've embraced <laughs> it. Like nothing is going to change tomorrow. Um, I'm relying a lot more on podcasts. Um, I'm reading a lot more for my personal benefit. Um, things like Brene Brown, Glennon Doyle, and I'm reaching out to my friends that have been my rock since, um, I've been 13 or since, you know, in the last four years and kind of telling people that I'm overwhelmed. How are you handling it? You have two children. So that's, I only have a new one. one and a new one. Congratulations. Oh my God. So yes. So my son was just, my son was born the day the lockdown went in effect. Oh my gosh. God love you. So, so March 12th, I didn't know what really was going on. Like I'm in the hospital room. They said the hospital's closed off, no visitors. And then I, we leave the hospital and it's just like, you have to be quarantined for two weeks in the house because I, I, I took vacation time 
And then I went back to work because I am an essential worker. So 16 days in the household, I was going insane because <laughs> I, because I'm an outgoing person. I need to be out and I need to see people. I need to talk to people. And then you have uh, a newborn that's crying and not sleeping. So boom, I was already hit. So it's like, you know, postpartum depression is already hitting me. And, you know, thank God for the medications I'm already on to help me with that depression. Um, yeah. Because, you know, postpartum does hit both the mom and the father. It does. So it already hit me the first go around with my daughter, who's two right now. So I was prepared this time, but it's still, it's still like, if you ask me today, how I'm doing, I'm, I'm doing okay. I mean, I've had better days, um, but it, it's, it's just been a, um, being in the house and not like going, like going, like I have, um, I'm almost four years clean and sober. So not going to AA meetings or NA meetings. It's, um, they have the zoom live, but it's not the same effect. No. It's, um, you know, I feel bad for people in early recovery because you can't just tell them like, oh, you have 30 days sobriety, go online and go talk to other people in recovery. And it's just like, they could still be sitting there using or abusing and things like that. So for me, I mean, I still have a, a, a network of like sponsors and sponsees, but it's still not the same because I can't see any physical contact with them. So right. that's, what, that's what's affecting me the most mentally. Um, you know, I suffer from bipolar too. So my depression goes up and down, um, hypomania, you know, one second I'm on top of the world, the next I'm just like, leave me alone. So I got you. <laughs> <laughs> so it's what does that look like? What does that look like when that, at like, uh, how, like, like yeah, what triggers that? <laughs> um, great a question. sound. Yeah, uh, like a sound. A sound. No, it's a true. Sound. It's, yeah. it's true. It's like my yeah. my son crying. Like boom. Mm-hmm. Like if, I, if it's like like it's not like obviously yes a baby cries but it's like if he's crying for like ten minutes, boom depression sits sits in, sets in. Um, Charles, what I think is interesting about that first of all is the part about being extrovert. I'm the same way, so I don't like any of this at all. Like fundamentally like this is so challenging for me because I'm so used to being around people. And then also um, one of the biggest learning curves for my family with my getting my diagnosis was that sounds annoy me. Right. Yes. Yes. And they, and they had to understand that I wasn't just like making it up. <laughs> like Exactly. I mean, I've never explained it to them, but um, I actually never explained that to my wife, but yeah, it, it's, it's, it's true. Yeah. Like ever since I was a small kid, I can remember certain sounds like really kind of like just doing something to me. And then as I got older, got the diagnosis, started learning about it. I was like, oh, wait, that is a symptom of this. I'm not making that up. This is an actual thing. It's more like yelling and screaming because I was like, you know, mentally and physically abused. So with that, like screaming, it's just like if, if you're like in the supermarket and you're like arguing with somebody, that's a trigger for me. Like it has nothing to do with me, but it sets me up. Yeah. Does that answer your question, Andy? Yeah. Now on the on the flip side, what what happens that makes you feel good? Like, are there certain key things that, like, for example, Beth, when you um, are with your son, uh-huh. and 
you're hanging with your son, you feel really good. Does that, does that escalate from there? Like, I don't think Philly has ever seen me manic. Well, not that he remembers. Um, uh, but I think that most of the stuff that he witnesses that might seem like more energetic are kind of within the, like the scale of, okay. Like the other day, like when I did the thing with the bedrooms, he was like, what are you doing? And I was like, we just need to have organization. Like we need to have structure in our lives. Cause one of the things that I learned that was so useful for both the diagnosis of substance abuse and bipolar was I needed to have a schedule. This completely threw that out the window, right? Like I can't get up and go like drop him off at school, go meet the people I meet for work. Um, make sure I take 10 minutes, 15 minutes for myself to do that. I mean, I can take time for myself now somewhat, but he's with me a lot because schools are closed and his dad's okay. an essential worker as well. So but don't you find like too the whole time for myself, I have so much time for myself. I don't even have time to focus on what I want to do for myself. Does that make any sense at all? Like I sit down and I, I go to meditate and I don't even have anything to clear in my mind because my mind is so disconnected. Does, do you know what I mean? Like it's like I sit there and it's like okay, disconnected from 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 life. Like I have my only responsibilities right now are are, are I feel like I have no responsibilities. I feel are like you overwhelmed with time, like overwhelmed with yeah. this. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Do you know? I mean, it's no, it's, I don't understand. <laughs> I was like, uh, I can't relate to this. <laughs> no, I know, but it's like, I, I just like, okay, there's only so many times I can rearrange my bedroom and clean it. You know what I mean? The refrigerator, the freezers are stocked. I don't have any motivation to cook because I've made more meals in the last five weeks than mm-hmm. I've made in five years, like for variety. It's like, I don't know. It's, you're kind of like when you get married, you're waiting for that day. And now that day comes and it's like that, that missing thing that you have to, that leads up to the whole wedding, all the preparation. Now there's nothing. I got nothing. I'm not working. I think they're a little jealous of you, Chris, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> you guys no. reach out a lot of, out to people uh, a lot. To who? Uh, like, you know, to try to stay connected with people. What what do you you know, right now do you isolate are you isolating or do you find yourself isolating or are you really trying to reach out and, and stay in contact with people? I, I this is that, that question's hard for me because it's so hard to isolate when I'm so busy with two kids. Right, but internally, <laughs> you know um, what I mean. Like, can you because you can isolate internally, even though on the external, like, do you find yourself present, or do you find yourself just kind of, you know, thinking about, you know, maybe I wish I was like had time, you know, to, you know, wish I had time to, you know, um, kind of be by myself. Do you feel like you find yourself wanting to create alone? Uh, yes. And then when I'm in that, when I'm in that, um, that stage for me, I write. So that's a, that's a pause for, that's a positive for me. Isolation. Okay. uh, Because I need to focus on my mental health. So you try to find something more 
a creative and try to be find something more productive than a negative negative thoughts exactly because with the isolation that you're talking about i've i've gone down that dark road so i try to you know be positive and and use something creative to to take me out of that dark hole okay beth what do you think so this is interesting um i was saying this this morning to my therapist and it's it might be terrible to say but one of the issues i'm having with this place and time is that when i I feel like sometimes I'll want to be like, oh my God, I'm so overwhelmed. I'm so this. And then someone will remind me why I should be lucky. I know why I should be lucky. I am very lucky. But I I think that I'm running into situations where people aren't allowing people to feel the feels. And that's what got me in trouble to begin with for my mental health. Like no one just let me say what the problem was. So right now I'm trying to stay really on top of like, who I reach out to, who I'm talking to, and then kind of constantly thinking about moving forward. Like I'm finishing up school. I have four more weeks and I have my bachelor's, which is awesome. And I'm applying to graduate school and I'm trying to think of all the things that I want to like create for Philly and I going forward. Um, and also feeling like I can say it's really hard. Like, be okay with saying that. Yeah. And not have someone be like, oh, but you should be so lucky. I'm well aware of how lucky I am. I never, ever don't say I'm lucky, but I also am a human going through a human experience. Agreed. Yeah. Chris and Kimberly. Yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. Because I'm, I mean, I'm also in school, Beth. uh, Oh, no way. We're like so much in common. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I go to nursing school at UMass Boston. Good for you. And I mean, that's another stressor on top of work full time. I'm talking yeah. to kids and people are like, oh, I don't know how you do it. And I'm like, well, how did you do it? Like, don't say like, how do you know how, don't say to me, I don't know how you do it because we all have everyday struggles and it's just, how do you deal with them? Yeah, exactly. That's very true. That's very true. I Go ahead, Chris. What, I think what my problem is, is that I made my life so busy and I was so active and always on the go, it all, it all got taken out. Like it's all done. Like I, I'm not busy. I'm not going and meeting with people. I'm not, I'm still on my phone a lot, but do you know what I mean? It's like, yeah, you've got the busy of everyday home life, Charles with the baby and, and everything. And you might not see it right now, but in a few years, it'll been like, oh my God, that was like, so awesome to be able to have so much extra time with the baby. It goes by so fast, but I don't need to tell you that. I just think <laughs> like, you know, and Beth, you're busy with your little guy and, and scheduling. And, and it's like, I, I think it's because of where I am in my life. It's, you know, if I was where you guys were, I mean, my daughter's home, she's in recovery and she's doing her three kids that live here, you know, with us and we're doing it collaboratively, but I don't know. I mean, I get in my head. I don't know how to get out of my head. So any tips would be welcome. So Charles, can I ask you a question? Sure. Okay. So, so I am kind of like Chris, I designed my life to be very, very busy because the busier I was the you know, I could kind of like disconnect from the swirl of my brain. This obviously made us all slow down. And then one of the things I noticed is I would have, um, like, not episodes because that's not the word, but like kind of like small little blips of like 
like thoughts in my head that I'm like, oh, I haven't had that in a while. And that's not, hasn't happened in a while. And I've been practicing a lot of like um, reality checking, you know, talking back to thoughts, doing all the things that I learned how to do in like the, you know, all the programs I was in. Um, and then as I work as a recovery coach and a peer specialist and a lot of people I support, you know, have stuff like that happen. And I feel like I'm able to relate to them a little bit better right now because of the fact that I'm like, I understand that that's going on. Cause now we're all kind of forced to like sit. Mm-hmm. Are you noticing anything like that with you? I mean, you're so busy. You have a newborn. <laughs> you like, mean like, you mean like relating with others you mean that are similar? Or like, with- no, but like, it's like your brain chemistry, like type thing, like, you know, cause you're so, I know you're so busy, but then it's also like, I feel no, like bipolar I- kind of like staying busy has been my jam. Yeah, I think that's more, um, if my brain starts going the way you just described, then it's going to go down not, not a good, not a good path. Okay. okay. So yeah, my, so do you have bipolar two? Oh yeah. Okay. Oh no, so, bipolar one, I'm bipolar one. <laughs> okay. Can you okay. Tell, tell the difference? Can you share the difference real quick? But, uh, Beth, you're, there's, well, there's only one major it's the depression, right? The depression. You, uh, yeah. not you, but bipolar one is um, more, more severe, um, major depression episodes than bipolar two. Okay. So Charles, how's that mood calendar been going? So since January, if I if we just start at January, January to today, it's gone down. Like. Uh, so Beth, I had a calendar where every day you wake up, you start with a five. Okay. And it's based on a scale one through 10. Mm-hmm. 10 being like super ecstatic, uh, manic, and one being suicidal depressed. De- depressed. So every day you start off okay. your calendar, every day you wake up, you start off with a five. And throughout the course of your day, um, that number goes up and down. And then before bedtime, you give a median number of the of your day. Does that make sense? Oh. It tracks, yeah, it, it tracks like, your medicine, like right? That. Right, Charles? It kind of tracks your where you are it, with your meds and your where and- you are with your meds, where you are with your mental health. And then mm-hmm. so I could say like last night or yesterday I ended my my day with a six. Six is, you know, it's a little above average, <laughs> but um, today when I woke up, I started with a five again. So it's a new slate. It's like uh, Groundhog's Day. Um, so, so <laughs> I today, that. today I could end with a an, an eight, but um, t- tomorrow I wake up with a five again, and then go so on and so on. So pretty much from January, I had a um, whole month. I think I had like seven point three average. February was like a 7.1 and then March is when the COVID started. So I think I was like a 6.8 and then now I'm in the 6.8-ish. ish. So it's like the COVID has definitely, COVID baby and the end of school year has definitely put a um, a damper on my mood chart. Um, it's still in that, it's still in that between five and seven numbers i haven't seen i i don't see ones and tens um it is a good thing I, right yeah that's a good thing yeah that's a good right. thing for for me yeah 
I think I think I think when my baby was born, um, I had a nine. No, it's, <laughs> That's understandable. I didn't, I didn't want to go ten. I didn't want to go ten. <laughs> but um, awesome. That's an awesome idea. It's productive. So yeah, I keep it yeah. on my I keep it on my fridge or my um, calendar at work. So yeah, just I just have a little number in the corner of the box. Do you guys Good. finding speaking like doing this kind of thing? Um, when it, I'm imagining when you first started doing it and you speaking out, it was probably very difficult or at least hard. You know, you both seem very comfortable in it. How? How does that help you right now with with um, maintaining your sobriety and, you know, staying focused in, with mental health, with, you know, positive mental health and self-care? Um, I mean, oh, sorry, Charles, go. I mean, for me, it, it's it's a sense. It's a hobby. Um, it keeps me keeps my mental health in check. And it's I just love helping others. And I've said before in the podcast is I, I got addicted to helping others because I have an addictive personality. So, I mean, it started off, you know, I mean, it's always still a good thing, but then it got down like, Hey, you're helping out too many people. You're not focused on your home life. Mm-hmm. And that got me in a sense of like, Oh, let me take a step back. I can still help others do podcasts, mm. um, go around, um, cities and states and, and, and share my story. And if just one pair of ears, you know, connects with my story, I, it's like a feel good story to me. Like I made a difference in somebody's life today and by making others feel good, makes me feel good. And that's how I look at it from the mental health aspect. What about you, Miss uh, Beth? Um. I, I feel the same way. I think that, um, Charles, I don't know what you know about my story, but a lot of mine, um, a lot of stuff triggered for me when I had my son and I had postpartum and it went mis, um, misdiagnosed. So I had, um, a horrible couple of years and to sit here today is, I'm going to, uh, is a miracle. So what I promised myself I would do a couple of years ago is I would use my story to help others so that they like us, particularly mothers, and now, you know, fathers with postpartum, that they wouldn't feel so alone. Um, and it brings me a lot of joy. But I also open myself up to some scrutiny and some, like, opinions that really, I suppose, aren't for my ears anyway. But um, I I love it. I mean, I, I really, I feel, I feel like I'm getting better at it. Um, I'm more comfortable in sharing my story. And I just think the bottom line is that if one mom or dad hears it and they know they're not alone, then I did something right with my story and my life. And I think of, um, when my son's old enough, if he can see this stuff, hopefully he'll be really proud of me and he'll know, um, that I really fought to get strong and brave for him. And I hope that that'll help him carry on his legacy of just being a really good, kind little human being. Cause he is right now. And I think, um, I think that the world's a better place for him being in it. And I hope that I, I give him bravery by doing this. Absolutely. Beth, how do you deal with the with the the stigma? Do you still feel like you face that as much as you did when you started your journey? Not as much, um, but there's definitely. It's funny because like this isn't for everyone. Char- like what you guys do, and Charles, I'm sure you can agree. Like this kind of work isn't for everyone. Um, I know a couple people that kind of roll their eyes at me, and they're like, "Oh, okay, there she goes again." I don't have to do this for them. I'm doing it for the mom that's 
you know, has her baby's eight months old and she's feeling like she's kind of losing her mind and she doesn't know why, you know, um, when I first was getting sober and taking care of my mental health, I relied heavily on podcasts and listening to other women share their story. And it was different than 12 step programs. It, uh, it was just something different about it. So I really, really, they, I listened to them on the way home to work, home from work. There was always a steady flow of inspiration in my car. And that was the one place where I could cry, sob, yell, um, do all the things that I couldn't do when I was under, a, you know, in the middle of a custody dispute. I had to keep it together outside, but I could be safe in my car. And I wanted to pay that for it. I don't think I'm particularly that interesting. It's just that I hope that it's going to help somebody. Absolutely. Beth, Beth, you've accomplished some really cool stuff lately. Yeah. <laughs> and you're, you're such a great person because you're so, you're so humble, right? And you don't start crying. And, and, yeah. <laughs> you are you're a great person you really work hard you know they always say if you want to get well get up and walk right yeah. that's you know because you know god can't help you until you start helping yourself right, right. I mean, that's that's the truth and so for you you do so much right to try to help yourself and you've accomplished some stuff. Tell us about a couple of the quick accomplishments. Um, well, Andy made an awesome, awesome video Yay, of Andy. my story. Um, I am going to be on a podcast, Recovery Happy Hour, that I think is airing Tuesday, which I'm so nervous about because God cheating knows on us. Like. Cheating on um, us, but that's okay. I know. I'm sorry. And that's then okay. I just won an essay contest at my school for an essay I wrote about welcoming people into your brave space and um, graduation, four weeks. Like, and you're going to go to grad school. Yes. And I'm actually, Charles, I'm going to um, hopefully create my own little plan, but I want to study postpartum and that mood disorders that can come from it. Nice. Yeah. That's so, my goal. And I any other be, questions uh, for wait, wait. everybody? No, Charles, what, Charles? No, I just wanted to, be, uh, my focus of nursing is um, child, child adolescence. Um, my, long -term, my long term goal is to work at Brigham and Women's um, Psychiatric Unit for Adolescents. Oh my God. Wow. You're so good. I couldn't do kids. That's where it starts. Mental illness. I know. I know. <laughs> I watch my son like a hawk. Like I'll be like, wait a second. Did you count how many times you did that? Like, you know, cause I know when mine started and I know certain things that have like things that I did when I was little. So I'm constantly like, cause I'm going to catch it. If there is anything, I'm going to catch it early. You can't, you can't catch it. Like people have already asked me do, people already asked me do, am I fearful of my two kids getting bipolar or having a mental illness? And I have no control over that. No, but you can help them get care sooner. True. Like I didn't get my diagnosis until 38. All right. 30, <laughs> 33 for me. Yeah. There you go. So okay. Charles, it says you're, you do motivational speaking. Where do you, where, who do you speak to and what venues? So, um, it's word of mouth. So when I did the podcast through McLean, uh, for the deconstructing stigma, uh, campaign, um, one of the women in that campaign knew a professor at St. Um, uh, Anne Maria college. And they were like, do you want to come speak at the university? And I was like, <laughs> I was so nervous. I'm like, in front of the university, like, I felt <laughs> like it was like a graduation. <laughs> like, Aww. So I, I, I spoke there um, last year 
I speak uh, locally um, for AA meetings, um, the, the whole substance abuse disorder and mental illness. So, I mean, it's just wherever people want me, it's like, like I said, it's word of mouth. If, if you guys know somebody that wants to hear me speak, then I'm all on board and we do. Like <laughs> we love hearing website? you speak. <laughs> or your contact info. Uh, so I have a web, I have a blog page behind the laughter.blog. People can find me on Facebook as Charles EU Banks King and my cell phone number 617-888-9195. Feel free to text me or call me and I'm always helping and willing to help anyone struggling going through a bad time. Hey, Charles, a question. Thank you. Um, so you're in the airport and we talked about it with the senator. Um, you seriously are on a nine foot billboard <laughs> tell, <laughs> tell, or a nine foot yep. poster. Tell us about that um, a little bit, you know, about what the campaign is and um, how did that come about? So the campaign is deconstructing stigma dot uh, org. And it's a campaign that focuses on mental illness. It's that's the main focus um, from diagnosis from bipolar to substance abuse disorder to borderline personality disorder to sexual trauma, anxiety, depression, anyone and everyone that has has a story um, can email, uh, well, first contact or email um, uh, Gary, uh, I forget his last name, uh, Jerry, Jerry, Jerry at uh, Deconstructing Stigma. And then they have a person call you, you tell your story, um, and then they have a writer of their campaign writes up your story and then you have a photo shoot. And the next thing you know, you're in Logan airport. <laughs> Nine foot. Like, like, uh, life size. Yeah. Life like, 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 uh, like, like in uh, ghostbusters when the, you know, the stay puff marshmallow man, the marshmallow man. Yeah. Just gigantic. Right. So, um, no, it, it's not necessarily, obviously you're not necessarily going to get into Logan airport. It's actually international. It's an international campaign. So, oh, really? um, I was also uh, possibly going to be in Ecuador International Airport. So oh, that's it amazing. Would, would it that would actually be, an, be? Go ahead. Would that be? Uh, would they have a what subtitles with that? <laughs> it would. It would be in Spanish or whatever it country. It would, it would be in um, any language wherever that country is. It would be um, translated. That's so awesome! Congratulations. So, so I, I have a. Go ahead, Beth. Charles, I wanted to tell you, um, not to cheat on the map, but um, look into thisismybrave.org. Have you heard of them? I have not. I'm a storyteller for them, and um, I'm actually doing a thing with them tomorrow for, like, Brave TV, but you should look into them. They do whatever. I'll email you about it, but look at it, and I wanted to give them a shout-out because they're awesome. We'll we'll exchange contact. Okay, awesome. So here's my my question. I I don't know if you guys have any more questions, Chris and Kimberly, but here's my question. Do you guys ever feel called to do this do you feel like this is what i'm supposed to doing like do you feel that like you know whatever you get from the negative or like beth you were saying people say this and that but do you ever feel like um this is your purpose like to be here and to be doing what you're doing one thousand <laughs> percent Um, it's just, it's, it's about truth and honesty. And that's what I learned in AA. When you become truthful with yourself, you become truthful with others. 
So I have no um, qualms or backlash of telling the truth to others because it's my life and now I've, I've set it free. So now I can help others that hold back that pain, that misery, that fear, the self-doubt, insecurities, anything that most human beings go through, sober or not sober, I try to try to open that up. But like, wow, he just he just said that to us. Maybe I can open up and and maybe not be judged. And there's just hope. And that's what I, I like spreading the message of hope. That's awesome. Um, Thank you. I feel the same way as Charles. Uh, same thing. My story, my message is always hope. Um, if if you could have seen me four years ago, we're literally like just at the four year period of when I. Um, tried to end my own life into now it's totally different person. And I like, even from a small, when I was small, I always felt this desire to want to help people. I never knew it was going to be here. And cause it definitely wasn't planning on being this way, but um, I'm here now. And I feel so unbelievably grateful that I can do that. I'm so grateful that I can share my story, be brave, try to give other people the strength and the courage to do it themselves. Uh, I just, the, the opportunities that have been given to me, like everything's a gift and I know that. And while I don't necessarily follow a 12 step program today, the 12 step programs got me to where I am. I just kind of went rogue with my Brene Brown and Glennon Doyle kind of stuff, but of course in miracles, of course in miracles always. <laughs> um, but I, I still, yeah, I mean, I, the fact that I can sit here today and like my little guy is in the other room um, and he's here with me, you know, I don't know. That makes me cry. <laughs> yeah, so this is definitely a calling. And it's many people that may sometimes tell me to stop. I'm getting too much. I'm not going to stop because I think it's really important. And I really want to tell people to always have hope, always have hope. Chris, and thank you. And Chris and Kimberly, I think you feel the same thing as well, right? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. It's like, um, it's Charles, when you were saying, I I don't know word for word, but we had a guest, um, on Wednesday and she said that when she speaks in a room, right, she, she just wants to make a difference, even if it's just for one person. And she was speaking in a, in a, I don't know what the setting was. I don't remember, but whatever she was saying empowered one person to stand up and say, I'm sober for X amount of days, weeks, whatever. And then the next person stood up and the next person, and by, you know, in a matter of a couple of minutes, there were a lot of people standing up being proud of who they were and where they are in their journey. And I think, you know, um, it's people like our last guest, you know, that have lost a child. Um, that are a very strong driving force behind me and what I do, but it's also seeing, you know, and hearing Beth's story of her challenges and how hard she had to fight to get where you are today. And, you know, who cares what people think? Cause they're not in your shoes. You know, Charles, that's how you get in trouble in the first place when you care about what people think. Right. I'm learning. I'm learning. It's true. Uh, One day at a time. Exactly. I think and we all know, do that though yes. some, to some extent. But you absolutely to say I don't really care. Everyone cares. Everyone right. cares what everyone thinks about them, right? We all right. want to be liked. We all want to be uh, 
Debatable. You know, but, but at the end of the day, we have to live with ourselves. We are the ones that we have to, you know, we have to look at ourselves in the mirror and we have to be okay with who we are and what we do. If we come from a place of love and not fear, we'll be okay, you know? Yeah. Um, and you, you guys are absolutely an inspiration. I love what you do. And thank you so much for, for thank you guys. inspiring people that are listening now on the map. Uh, let me just say, well, backtrack one thing. Um, you, you had mentioned um, a previous guest lost a child. Uh, that wasn't actually Senator Freeman. That was. Oh, sorry. No, that's okay. That was um, Michelle Schwartzmeyer, who was on our when Wednesday live. Yeah. Of the map. So. Incredible story. Could, oh, with the um, the eulogy, right? Exactly. Yeah. Mother daughter's yeah. problems. Yep. 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 I'm sorry. The obituary. The real obituary. Yep. Yep. Kimberly, that's sorry a, to interrupt. Very moving story. Uh, okay. So do we have contact information for you guys up? Do we know how to reach both of you? I think so. We can put it on the page too. Be in my million true? names. That's start <laughs> Fleming. Yeah, your aliases. <laughs> <laughs> Love you. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Thank, Thank you, guys. You. Thanks so much. Have a great Thanks weekend. So- you too. Andy are, we, Andy, are we good? Is that it for us? Are we? You tell me, Kim. We're done. Okay. Thanks again, you guys. We are. Um, thanks for joining us here. We'll be back again Wednesday live on Facebook um, at eleven. So we will see you then. Till then, thank you for joining us on. Stay, stay safe, Man. all. Stay safe. <laughs> see ya. Social distancing. Social distancing. <laughs>